But I want to ask you guys, the year 2019, the second decade of the 20th century is almost over. What do you guys, what do you guys look back on? What are you guys grateful for in this half decade for this decade? Oh my whole God. decade. Oh man. I don't even remember 2010. What was that like? It was such a blur. We so, all worked together at USA, didn't we? I was in Las Vegas on December 31st, 2009. I, cause I looked for a photo for oh, nice. the, that thing that was going around social media. I didn't see that. <laughs> um, what am I grateful for? I got two dogs in the last decade and I like them Aww, very much. That's nice. Yeah, that's true. That is really nice. I am grateful for every single person that has logged on to patreon.com or ontarioloud.ca and hit the Patreon link and donated to us. There are a variety of donation price points. Some of them you might say are less than the price of a cup of coffee, but some people do it every month and those people are amazing. And I just want to take this moment of the pod to say thank you for all your support. Uh, our volunteers super appreciate it. And yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. Always have to ruin a nice moment. I, I think that was the most <laughs> sincere of the big Welcome to Ontario Loud, a podcast about politics, public policy, and current affairs, hosted by recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. I'm Sam Andrew. I'm Alexi White. I'm Kate Hammer. And today we are wrapping up the year of 2019, the last year of the second decade of the 21st century. Y2K.2, some might say. Mm, isn't that 2,200? 2.2? 2. Oh, it's 2.02. It's, it's, it's yeah, way to be. I, I'm just afraid of whatever my computer is going to do at New Year, <laughs> guys. And I want everyone knowing, uh, everyone listening to know that. Um, my friends, this is a time for reflection. Time to reflect on what has been, what is to come, who we are as people, the nature of the universe, why we are heading in the year 2020 with so many mysteries still surrounding us about Area 51. Despite the whole internet deciding it was time to run into it and check it out. That is my biggest disappointment of the decade, by the way, is that that didn't actually happen. Um, these are the important questions. So today's going to be a quick one where we reflect on the highs and lows of 2019 and our current political era, check in on some of the things that we thought were overreported and underreported this year in Ontario politics. So when you think about uh, things that happened in maybe Ontario or maybe even Canadian politics in 2019, uh, what do you think is the, uh, what stands out for you as a, like a solidly good thing that happened this year? I was really happy with uh, the way that civil society and sort of the media rose to the occasion for the federal election on the threat of disinformation and foreign interference. I thought there was a lot more reporter energy devoted to debunking myths, monitoring um, fake news that were spreading on social media and sort of trying to get ahead of it quickly. I remember the Buffalo Chronicle um, stuff debunked quickly. The um, When the sheer camp started running those Chinese uh, ads, again, like I think there was just like a due diligence that was built up and like an awareness of how politics is being run in the digital age that was not the case in the last few campaigns that have probably had similar dynamics but not the kind of coverage so i thought that that was a positive development for democracy i would agree with that i would also agree with the observation that this was the hardest one because it's like i think it's pretty common to think of this as a as a fairly bleak year with like all the stuff that's going on in the states and how omnipresent that is like increasingly alarming things about climate change. But um, there's a flip side to that, which is that I think there's been, I've seen a lot more attention to this year, um, sort of longstanding issues that have been really quite 
bad for a long time um, that it seems like there's heightened public awareness of. I was actually thinking specifically of uh, some stuff at the federal level. I mean, climate change, the number of people who are out on the streets on that issue now, I think is incredible. And it's a level of public awareness that is forcing like even the conservative party to try and say something about it that isn't it's not real. Canada's arms sales to Saudi Arabia is uh, another thing that stands out to me and sort of increased scrutiny and questioning of uh, that relationship. And so, yeah, there are some things that sort of festering under the surface for a long time that I, I'm glad to see some height. Of. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you guys both. I would, I guess I'm pessimistic on these things. Uh, <laughs> heightened public awareness is great. Uh, is it leading to real change? I don't know. I mean, do we, I guess time will tell, but the federal government right now is considering whether or not to uh, approve a huge new oil sands investment, for example, uh, that Alberta is pushing. Um, you know, there's uh, no end in sight to uh, arms deals between Saudi Arabia and all Western countries. It's not as if we're questioning all of our uh, connections to a lot of pretty loathsome countries out there and dictatorships out there. And so, um, I mean, it's great that we're talking about these things, but I would love to see that actually turn into real change. I think it's a start though. Like to, it's like, you know, I mean, the glass is half full, Chris. It is. It's, <laughs> it's filling up. <laughs> I'm going to go with something a little bit lighter, uh, which was, uh, and more recent, which was Kathleen Wynne's, uh, um, official portrait unveiling in the legislature a few weeks back. Um, it was just a nice bright spot in what has otherwise been a rather sad year in Ontario politics. And um, I thought there were it was just a great opportunity to think back and reflect on uh, the legacy that she's left, the great work that was done uh, under her leadership. Um, and I mean, her entire career, right? The portrait had elements of her personal life. It had elements of, um, you know, the the people who inspired her and her past about her time, uh, you know, in local politics and in school board politics. And it was just a really a nice way to end the year, I thought, uh, and uh, was treated pretty well by by all involved. And um, yeah, I, I actually I, I agree that I thought it was a uh, uniformly nice moment. Um, and actually, like Doug Ford in his speech saying that now that it means a lot for women and little girls going through the legislature, seeing and feeling represented or I don't know I, just, it was, I thought it was a rare moment where the premier kind of rose to the occasion like so I agree with all of that and I do agree that it was uniformly nice maybe the only like little asterisk I would put on it is I was kind of struck by how much of the discourse and coverage was exclusively about what her time as premier meant symbolically like as a woman yes. as LGBT and not what she accomplished yes. of which there are many significant things like full day kindergarten she's responsible for you know our really our climate change plan that the Ford government subsequently destroyed like the CPP expansion like I just think there's like it is interesting to me how absent that was from the coverage yeah you know that's that's a great point and I, I think a lot of politicians who bring that symbolism face that problem too like I don't know that um reflections on for instance Barack Obama's presidency always get into the um the, the policy yeah, side of things enough. right because those um identity pieces really overhang a lot of the coverage can I just say this exercise has highlighted we have room for improvement in naming best things that happen could we have asterisk every single one um so Maybe the world's we, not perfect the world is, <laughs> that's right we so let's move to an area of clear strength for us what is the most troubling thing that has happened this year in Ontario <laughs> politics oh boy so i have one that solidified with me with um the large majority that boris johnson 
one recently. It was kind of frustrating, and we talked about this on the pod, the way that race played out in our election. And the thing that I think we all talked about was it was just particularly frustrating the way it was so present and it took us forever to decide to discuss it. You know, it was clearly an issue and particularly an issue in the way a Jagmeet Singh was was treated and a subtext to, to some policies. And we just, it just wasn't, it wasn't the issue at the fore. And it reminded me of what it was like moving back to Canada like 10 years ago. I lived in the States. I started, I went to grad school and started my career in the States and then moved back. And I forgot, I'd kind of forgotten what it was like when you move back and you're like, oh yeah, we have this Canadian thing where we just don't want to talk about race. We kind of got to get pushed into it. And I'm starting to feel like that's such a liability watching elections like the one just happened in, that happened in the UK. And I don't know, Chris, you shared this, this ad that Boris Johnson did, the Love Actually ad, which is so interesting. I mean, it's so kind of clever and cute, but so problematic. And one thing that jumped out at me is, and that is so telling, is in the ad, Boris Johnson is talking to a white woman, a sort of very common, accessibly pretty white woman, um, quietly and telling her not to alert her, the black male on the couch in the house. And the subtext is, right, like, hey, white person to white person, we got to get this done. And it just was reminding me how much these issues um, and how these sort of populist leaders around the world are rising to the surface with race. And it just makes me nervous that in Canada, like if this is going to be the kind of the dividing line that's going to get thrown down, Canada is just going to remain so vulnerable to this. And we've had some encouraging proof points, you know, most recently in the defeat of the PPC. Um, but it, I just remain nervous that we are so reluctant to, to, talk about race and always have to get pushed to get there. I would agree with that. My answer to this actually sort of flows really nicely from that um, in that I have been sort of shocked this year at, aside from uh, actually weirdly in Ontario, Doug Ford's cratering poll numbers um, that have sort of uh, continued to move downwards. Nothing seems to be able to really move public opinion, um, big events, uh, large amounts of evidence, um, it really seems like both in Canada and around the world, um, like things that are like I would remember from like 10 years ago being like large headlines don't really seem to move public opinion in any kind of way. Like I think about impeachment in the States. Um, I think about literally anything that happened in the federal election, like the polls basically stayed the same the entire election. Everyone kind of went into the election knowing how they would be voting. If the polls are to be believed, uh, they move very little. And yeah, I have to wonder if um, that is related in some way to people's deeper or more deep-seated feelings or attitudes uh, becoming more intransigent and more uh, movable. And I think issues around race are, are, I would certainly count as one of those like deep-seated uh, feelings and issues. That's such a, uh, and that's a great, it's such a great point. I like to think that there's there's progress being made as uh, as we just discussed the glass is half full um i think i think the challenge for me is that uh it's it, society seems to be coming around slowly but and with certainly with some pushback to some of the ways that we we think about race especially on an individual level i think the the challenge and there's always a challenge with these kinds of issues will be turning that into talking about structural issues because it's one thing for people to say that action is racist that person is racist it's a lot harder for large swaths of the country to come around to the idea that you know 
our government is racist, that our our whole whole subsets of public policy are built on questionable assumptions, right? And that's a lot harder to diagnose. It's a lot harder to get people to to buy into and to make real change. On like bringing it back to Ontario, where if anybody polls numbers were moved this year it was Doug Ford's I think in terms of the most troubling thing I think everyone expected this administration that had been you know out of power for 15 years had to staff up to take a while to kind of mature into government and that they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants for a while but like just the length of time that continued into 2019 like it was just chaos month after month after month with education cuts that they were then partially walked back, public health cuts partially walked back, childcare cuts then partially walked back. You know, autism was probably among the most troubling where they continue to have families in total chaos um, and are just like thinking about what to do next. So yeah, I don't like they're they're, they've clearly tried to pivot post federal election to be to seem more um you know, less combative, um, pick their fights more deliberately and that sort of thing. But on the substance of the government, it remains to me to be like not guided by like a vision for Ontario as like other than saving money. I agree with that. And they're trying to find new pieces to put over or sort of new things to put in there. But yeah, I I don't see really where it's going other than a moderation of, of where they started. Um, I want to move us on to, I think in the year 2019, we've been, uh, people are really good at making a fuss, getting worked up about things, posting on social media about stuff. And I'm thinking as we've sort of followed the news cycles uh, this year, what are some things that we focused way too much on? And what is some what are some things that we, we missed? Can, can, can we just say it together? Like one, two, three. And then that was like uh, i feel like i'm at new year's <laughs> <laughs> like it was an important thing to note and to report on for a day or two the oxygen that it sucked out of our political discourse for months was so disproportionate to what the thing actually was yeah i think i mean i think this is one of those Don't uh, <laughs> all right i'm sorry <laughs> I, I mean more things happened with that right like there it it, it betrayed a, a larger rift within senior leadership of the liberal party right and that became the story so i think um yeah fair enough yeah but I yeah agree. it certainly wasn't a non-story but i i think the way that it uh sort of became the only story yeah um was uh was 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 really interesting to watch and i i think we talked about in the sh- uh, on the show several times about the theories as to why that why that might be the case i think the thing that was made uh, too much fuss over for me was the carbon tax i mean i get why the conservatives um uh tried to make this into a big thing but it's like just looking back on it now that we're you know we're now months into the introduction of this thing uh where is this uh recession that Doug Ford promised us in Ontario was coming because of as a result, a direct result of this terrible carbon tax. I mean, these things are just like so clearly lies and are immediately shown to be lies as soon as the government publishes their own numbers that show the, the economy is still growing. Like it's it's just it's ridiculous and more hay needs to be made about these kinds of things. Um, and then that there was that terrible photo op that the especially the federal conservatives did where they all took photos of themselves filling their very, very large cars the day before the the tax was going to come into effect, them all looking off into the distance and being all like, oh my God, like it's our last hurrah before the end of the world tomorrow. Like fuck off. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I would like to throw an honorable mention there for Sam Oosterhoff's Halloween carbon tax song in the house. Um, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I asked the tax. 
He axed the carbon tax. It was a smash. One of my favorite, one of my favorite contributions to political discourse of all time. Um, anything that we think did not receive enough fuss, the fuss was lacking. This is just because I had spent way too much time compared to most people pouring over the uh, budget and the uh, public accounts and the full economic statements. But um, earlier this year in the budget, uh, the PC government um, basically laid out a plan to cut billions of dollars out of children and social services. And they never announced where those cuts would come. But clearly, they have started to th- rethink that. Uh, they've rolled back a few things that they had announced. But uh, in the full economic statement, we saw uh, another five or six hundred million restored to that budget compared to where they thought they'd be this year. And uh, time will tell whether that means that the out year cuts are also going to be reversed. But I mean, that's a story that I don't think got enough attention when it first happened. Luckily, it's already been reversed or looks like it already has been reversed. That that area itself, you know, in education and healthcare, there are some pretty crazy things happening, but those those lines are increasing. Like the government is still spending in those key areas, like they say they are. The place the places where um, where the real cuts are happening are the smaller ministries uh, that we don't talk about and also children and social services uh, with some exceptions. And I, I just worry that that's going to continue. I will nominate, I think, that the general chaos that has been caused by the folding up of the lens in uh, the healthcare system and the move to the Ontario health teams has, you know, talking about sucking all the oxygen out, I think it's like totally distracted the entire health sector. You can see them like groveling to the government, every like health, every part of the health system to try to like get their proposals approved. And I just think like nothing is happening right now to improve patient care or end hallway medicine. And it's just focused on this, you know, moving boxes around in the org chart as far as I can tell. Uh, And I don't think that for something that consumes, you know, 45% of the budget that there's been a lot of discourse and coverage on that. I just want to call them out for just the the tactics they're using. It's a bit but what Sam's saying, and I, it's frustrating because when you look through everything, you're like, oh, they walk that one back. They walk that one back. And it's like, okay, so is that now good or is that just unbad? And the problem is too in the coverage, it drives me bananas. This happens a ton with the coverage of the class sizes in high school where they'll talk about now, oh, goody, goody, they're at 25 instead of 28. And it gets sort of added like, like, you know, this is how reasonable they are that 25 is a great number instead of an average class size of 28. And I just, I just, it's not exactly sort of um, not enough coverage. It's just like not clear-eyed coverage where their tactics are working too well. Yeah, absolutely. I just also want to quickly add to that point and to Sam's earlier. One of the things that um, I think we can put to bed is the idea that there are all these uh, sort of grownups in the room around Ford who are going to like keep things, you know, from um, going off the the rails. Like, I, where where is the leadership of Carolyn Mulroney? Where is the leadership of Christine Elliott uh, on these big files? Um, I mean, these are it, it's non-existent. Nice side product of uh, power centralizing in the premier's office, first minister's office over the last decade is, you know. Before we close out today, I want to take a moment to stop and say it's been a while since you heard Kate Hammer on the show. And that is sadly because Kate will be leaving us soon. Uh, But I just want to say, Kate, we're going to miss you a lot. Um, So much. Uh, I want to say that when you came on as a guest for the first time, uh, Alvin uh, immediately texted me after being like, you have to ask Kate to be a permanent co-host on this show. That was amazing. Um, (laughs) uh, I was, I texted him back saying, I was just thinking the same thing. Um, and it was pretty much uh, unanimously felt uh, amongst us. Yeah. I have had friends who've, um, wait, 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 pretty much. 
There was uh <laughs> Which one was it? I mean, we had like three or four rounds of interviews, as you remember. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've I've had friends who've um, who've also said uh, that Kate's addition to the podcast was a huge boost. Uh, just that the the three of us guys here in the room are um, we don't have the same heart that you bring to the podcast, Kate. Uh, I've heard that from a number of different people that 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 you really um, have brought some much needed emotion and some f bombs actually to the yeah. podcast. <laughs> My mom uh, might have mentioned that to me. You've got um, <laughs> we, we, we become more profane and it's like a positive move. Oh, I'm sorry, Alexi's mom. I tried. <laughs> I come into every pod like you know what? I don't need the f bombs. <laughs> I, I love do. it. Oh, <laughs> uh, but that's not true. You guys are all heart. You guys are all heart, and that's what's so fun about this pod. This pod is what we used to do around you know, around the policy table when we were trying to figure things out, when we were trying to find a way forward. And I think that's why it's been so much fun because it's been a way to continue that. It's been a way to continue figuring out policy, figuring out ways forward. And we don't, you know, we don't get to hold the levers anymore, but it's still really important to think this stuff through. It's still really important to care and I know all of us do. We we don't might not get to pull any levers, but I get to twiddle some knobs here at Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> and I think still my favorite 2019 Ontario Loud moment was our interview with Kathleen Wynn and Kate's uh, yes. um, time with Kathleen in particular. So yes. um, yeah. you are also responsible for my favorite moment. Well, to send you off, Kate, we'd like to honor your storied love of Ontario Loud games. And <laughs> I'd like to call... Cater's going to Kate. <laughs> the rules of this game are simple. I'm going to ask. No way they are. They we'll change. The <laughs> yeah. They will might change multiple times. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys questions pertaining to various Kate Hammer interests, and you're going to need to give me answers. Correct answers will be rewarded for Kate with one Kate point. But Kate... <laughs> You will receive only one Kate point for each correct answer, whereas Sam and Alexi will receive two Kate points. <laughs> I love how this. I love how this reflects yes. <laughs> <laughs> salaries in the real world. Yes, it's like a, it's like the Ontario Loud equivalent of a shrewd buck. <laughs> <laughs> Do we win it? So, first question in Canada. Uh, so, this first question is on universal childcare. In Canada, families spent 22% of their income on full-time childcare costs, which in which of these countries is childcare more of a burden on family budgets? Spain, Korea, Japan, Australia, Sweden, or none of the above? I'm going to go with none of the above. Oh, man. I'm going to – I'll go with um, Japan. Kate. What? Uh I'm going to say it's probably either Korea or Spain. Japan's Sam, got a new system. Yeah. Sam, you are the owner of two Ooh. new Kate points. <laughs> Man, I think that was a trick question. I don't know if these. Oh, it was. Easy. <laughs> uh, all of these countries, in all of these countries, childcare is more universal and less of a burden on family budgets than Canada. Uh, Korea actually um, is uh, at the bottom of the pack. Sweden has an amazing system. But we are ahead of the US, UK, and New Zealand, though. In the UK, it is a shocking 33% of family income was spent on 
full-time childcare costs. Boris is sure to be on the case. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah right. Good job. <laughs> last election. Um, moving on to uh, supports for students. In a TDSB pilot, what is the percent point improvement in graduation rates between students who had access to a before-school breakfast program and students who did not? Uh-huh. We don't have choices. We have to guess the number. You, wanna- you have to guess <laughs> the number and the God. closest will win. Percent- say, the, say the question again. What's the percentage of kids? What is the, the, difference? Per- what is the percent point improvement in graduation rates between students who yeah. had access to a before school breakfast program and students who did not? Across all students who had access. In this TDSB pilot. In this TDSB pilot. So we're already looking at kids with probably lower graduation rates because that's who would qualify. Uh, I'll start us off to anchor the answers with uh, <laughs> five points, five percentage points. Seven. Kate? I'm going to say 15. Kate, you are the owner of one new Kate point. It is 17%. Interesting. This is the first of its kind pilot in all of Canada and is comparable with similar studies in the States, uh, which makes it all the more frustrating that Doug Ford's municipal health cuts have put these kinds of programs and support squarely in the crosshairs. So uh, ending that one on kind of a down note. Next question. Kathleen Wynne became the first woman ever elected premier of a major province in the Ontario 2014 election, but lost her bid for re-election, of course, in 2018. How many of the world's 146 nations have had a woman as a head of state or sub-state in the last half century? How many of the world's 146 nations have had a woman as either a head of state or a sort of provincial equivalent in the last half century? 30. That's got to be 20. We got 30. We got 20. A dozen. A dozen. I, I like how that got more pessimistic. Actually, Alexi, <laughs> you're the owner of two new Kate points. <laughs> Boom. Um, oh. 56 of the uh, 100 oh, wow. nations of the world, um, or 38%, had a woman as a head of government or state for at least one year of the past half century. In 31 of these countries, women have led for five years or less. In 10 nations, they have led for only a year. So, like, tons of room for improvement in the world on this. Um, Did you say, by the way, that Kathleen was the first woman premier of a major province in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> a major province. <laughs> uh, I will be visiting that one in the editing room. <laughs> later on. Moving on to the subject of Star Trek. How many points do I have? I have two now, right? And you yep. have two and Kate has one? Correct. Oh, this is a great game. Yeah, Sam. <laughs> Sam. Sir Patrick Stewart said he would not be returning to the Star Trek universe for much of his post-Star Trek The Next Generation career, only to change his mind when CBS approached him with the concept for Star Trek Picard. What changed his mind? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Alvin is screaming at his uh, podcast player right now. Um, (laughs) What changed his mind to come back and do the... Such a vague question. (laughs) Sam's already out of the run. (laughs) Okay. yeah, this, this this question is actually not super intuitive to answer. <laughs> I'm going to go with the money. <laughs> I'm going to go with the quality of the script. Kate. Oh, no Ding, way. ding, ding. You are, the, uh, you are tied with Alexi and Sam. Um, <laughs> Patrick Stewart said, uh, in less, less two days, I had over 30 pages of copy, which I studied very carefully. 
Uh, one of the points I made in the first meeting was the only possible way I would consider returning to that life would be, for example, and this was the only example, if we did something like Logan or um, like we did for X-Men, uh, where it's sort of a, a more in-depth character study, then you would have my attention. And they presented him with something that he thought was uh, as good as Logan. And all our listeners are gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Um, <laughs> So uh, next next question is on the terrible nature of social media. How many minutes of looking at Facebook did one Austrian study find correlated to measurable declines in people's moods and feelings of happiness? Oh God! Like five. Wait, how is this working interest? Wait. I have many fond memories of Kate being right. upset about social media. Let's remind everyone of her Twitter handle. While we're on. <laughs> about social media are you like a statist what the heck is that that's so mean i love kate suffering about the way social media is destroying our world i'm gonna go with eight minutes five minutes minutes? yes Wait, wait, wait! Sorry, what was the time frame? How many? How much time on on what is it on social media a day? How long did it uh, take, uh, or how long did it take uh, for social media to make uh, have measurable declines in people's moods? Like, is there but like how long does it take? Like just continuously? Yeah, daily. It was daily. It wasn't a daily. It was log on or something. Yeah, I think it was like. Yeah, it's not. It's also not a very good question, but. Um, <laughs> Really killing it with the game today. <laughs> just, just give me a number. Uh, number of minutes. Okay, what did Sam say? Eight said, minutes or something? Eight yeah. minutes. Alexi said five. Okay, I'm like one dollar, Bob. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, like uh, it was twenty minutes. Okay. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> so I win. The same. <laughs> Interesting fact, the same study also found that good weather translated to more happy posts amongst people and bad weather with more negative posts, but that the impact of negative posts permanently impacted people's moods in a negative way, but that seeing positive posts uh, was not a measurable impact. So um, Hmm. it's a uh, a really great, super positive study. Uh, Last question. What actor... And singer played a key role in the 1980s smash hit Labyrinth. And what was the name of this character? What? Oh my god! Oh, we're talking oh. Um, Bowie. That's who you're talking about, right? Yes, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And um, his character's name. His character's the name. name. Like okay. King of the, the power. Power. King of the Goblins or something. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Kate, do you have the name? Oh shit! Oh god! I just have the. I don't. God. Um, uh, he's does he have a name aside from being just king of the goblins? They're not actually called goblins, they're called something else, aren't they? I don't actually know. I looked this up on IMDb. Um, his name, <laughs> his name is apparently Jareth. Yes, his name is J- oh my god, such an 80s name! Oh god, what a good decade! Very 80s name, and that is Cater's gonna Kate. <laughs> <laughs> All left, Cater's gonna Kate tied. No, I won. Did you win? Yeah, because yeah. he got four so points. Oh, four. shoot. You won the social media. I, I The social media question went so <laughs> off the rails that I stopped counting it. Oh, in my head. Maybe we I should just cut that question it. and we can say that Kate won. That, that would be nice. <laughs> anyway, happy 2019, my friends. It has been a pleasure podcasting with you. 
Mm, Bye, New Year. Happy 2019. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. want to say big thanks to Kate Hammer again for coming on this journey with us. She will be missed. Uh, but we will be seeing you in the new year for interviews with Michael Coteau, Stephen Del Duca, and, and many more public policy conversations on topics like affordable housing, social assistance, education, and healthcare. Ontario Loud is hosted by Sam Andry, Alexi White, and myself, Chris Martin. Philip Askew is our recording engineer, and Aisha Anwar and Harmon Mundy do our comms and our research. Ontario Loud is recorded on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit and many nations. We honor and respect the treaties that are still alive today and recognize Indigenous people across Canada are still fighting for the rights in our society. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll see you in 2020.